This is Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that really thinks hair metal would have been much better as a drag movement. Um, speaking of which, have you actually worked out your drag name? Yet? I haven't. No, I've never done that because there's a there's a thing you can do, isn't there, where it's is it, is it is one there, of those like is it one of those actual fishing scams that's masquerading as a fun internet game? <laughs> yeah, I imagine that is probably the case. There'll be some graphic going around going, "Give me all your personal information. I'll give you a silly name." laugh about for 35 yeah. seconds uh, I, I mean I, I, I wasn't talking about that one I was thinking about one you'd actually worked out that you know, suits you so I, I, I've tried a number of times but I always fail at the moment I remember Courtney Act exists and just go I'm not coming up with anything as good as that <laughs> yeah I mean that's basically the best one right yeah that's yeah, really good and there are some which are obscene which are kind of more to the point shall we say but I think very nice of, way of putting that. None of them have the wit of Courtney Act. That's just no. that's so good. We talking about the likes of Cheryl Hall by any chance? It's stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> and the, and there are some, you know, and some which are you know much less um, subtle than that. Um, yes, I tried to pick one that was somewhat uh, safe for work. <laughs> Although oh, not really. really? That's, <laughs> that's not going to continue. Um, Speaking of not safe work, this is uh, Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT podcast. Uh, I am still Tom, and I keep forgetting to introduce myself, but I've remembered this week. Uh, and with me is someone who I'm desperately trying to rescue from a World of Warcraft addiction, so crippling he hasn't painted his nails all week, and who would only put it down if I promised him we could talk about really angry music. Mr. Jonan, how level 60 are you, sir? Hello, I'm very level 60, and you're right, I haven't painted my nails all week. I really need to do it, and it's driving me crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I have had a week of doing nothing. I've sat in this chair more than I ever have in my life. Isn't lockdown fun? Oh yes, gotta love it. Um, leaving <laughs> Azeroth, uh, if you are in the real world, uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can slide our RSS feed into. Uh, if you are listening on iTunes or any other platform that allows you to give a rating or review, please do consider giving us a rating, or even, if you feel really passionately, giving us a review. Uh, it does help us know that we're not just screaming into the void hopelessly. There is no news this week, which is really disappointing, because I was hoping there'd be some more Rob Halford-related drama. He's been doing a bunch of interviews, still plugging his, his autobiography, but a lot of it's really not very interesting it's, <laughs> it's really disappointing i, I imagine he's uh i mean joe you're a pr you you probably understand this better than me but i, I imagine his pr must be going oh, can you just say something controversial can you like be in an argument with a host or something because this is like we've been we've been doing this for like four months now and it's 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 like we've had <laughs> the setback thing was great can you do that again yeah it's the sort of thing you normally want to avoid but i feel like the attraction that that uh, altercation received has probably got yeah as you say probably got their pr going oh go on do it again just poke poke the bear or a bear if you will yeah i mean it, it has to be said the editorial line between halbert for metal and metal sucks is is it doesn't have a huge crossover but i think one area both <laughs> me and and the, those two boys have that we agree on is that we both want more rob halford related drama because you know I'm, they want the hits i just want the drama because it's hilarious it's harmless and it's really entertaining it really is uh moving on from drama to um, frivolous shit like that uh 
to slightly more serious stuff. Um, we've been saying from the beginning of Hellbent for Metal that we want to be a voice for the LGBT plus metal community and not just two bods ranting on the internet. Uh, and if you would like to make heavy metal happen, we'd still love to talk to you and help all your voice be heard. Um, that has been true from the start and it's true now. Uh, so if you, if you do want to get in touch, uh, tom.hbfm at gmail.com is the email address or at hbfmpod on Twitter where our DMs are open. Um, but this week we have our, our first response. Um, these have taken quite a few weeks to put together, so sorry about the delay, but we have, they are now coming. Uh, and we're calling these In My Kingdom Queer, and this is not an excuse, just a reference to Mortal, even if they are my favourite band ever. Uh, it's it's honestly not the only reason, I promise. Uh, our first guest, though, literally emailed us the day after episode one came out, which feels like about 15 minutes ago, strangely. Tiger King feels like three years ago. Episode one feels like last week. Uh, and so I had a chat to her. Uh, just for a little context, uh, this was recorded after Joe and I had our chat on here about being out and about at gigs. Uh, so if you wonder why there's a, a slight time lag, that's that's why. Uh, and this is Rhea, who is in a Canterbury-based extreme metal band called Karnstein. And I'll let her take it from there. Hi, I'm Rhea. I play bass in Ariser and Karnstein, and also do vocals in both bands. I am a trans woman and also a lesbian. What What's your broad in the broadest possible sense what's been your experience of being out within the heavy metal community uh it's been mostly positive i think the worst thing i've had more is like more awkwardness than actual like opposition so when i first came out about five years ago like i was um my old band was quite active in the local scene and i was always in the audience of other bands as well so i knew sort of like I was acquainted with a lot of people and so there was a general like we don't know what to make of this but like people weren't like sort of very aggressive about it in any way they were just kind of like we don't really know what to say so I'm just going to avoid you in a lot of cases but you know there are there were people that were a lot more open and sort of uh willing to talk to me but there were there's also obviously been a handful of much more negative experiences. When you say uh, it's it, it's there's been some kind of some general discomfort that people found it a little bit awkward. Has that made you feel less comfortable than you were before? With when you're in not just in your general life, I mean, just specifically when you're you know at gigs, when you're around other bands, how the the two experiences of being in the closet and in the metal scene compared with being out in the metal scene is, is one more comfortable than the other? Uh, being closeted is easier, I suppose you could say. It's definitely not more comfortable. Like, I very distinctly remember being at Bloodstock about two years before I came out and just, like, watching, like, all these kind of black and death metal bands and just, just not being able to enjoy it because I felt so weird with my own sort of body and presentation because it was so opposite to how I felt. So it's it's honestly easier to deal with people sort of not knowing how to deal with me than sort of feeling that, I guess. Sure. And um, how have, when people have 
been willing to to have a discussion with you about it and how you know how that changes things um what's been the the general experience of that how how well has that gone how awkward have those conversations been uh, normally it goes pretty well generally the people who are willing to sort of ask the question are already going to be like more open to under- like they're actively trying to understand so generally it's not, not too bad sometimes you get someone who's just like a bit pissed and they just kind of ramble and they're probably forgotten about it by the next day but like generally if someone's willing to say like um like it it always starts do you mind if i ask you something a little bit personal that's like a running joke in the trans community almost because that's a question you get asked so often and it's it's always like when did you know or like how does this work that kind of thing but um yeah if the people who if you know they're willing to listen if they're willing to ask when it comes to the 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 more negative experiences that you you mentioned what are the the, the kind of things that that tend to happen that that make you more uncomfortable that you know it's the thing that we spoke about recently was that you know it's it for us it's not the we're not afraid of being beaten up at a gig or anything like that we're just afraid of someone making that comment that ruins your day what's the kind of the kind of things that you experience is it more that end or is it you know slightly more directly threatening experiences it is mostly uh like comments like i'm not typically not going to be like just on my own definitely not especially if i'm not somewhere that i'm familiar with and um like you do get weird comments sometimes like i remember i was at a gig of um, a band i had been listening to i'd gone to see a band and while I was buying a shirt from them, like they were just handing me the shirt after I gave them the money, and they went, "So you a man?" I was like, "What the? Like I'm giving you money for merch, and you're like, just basically insulted me to my face. Like that's <laughs> like they they didn't see the problem with that." And they, you know, did they try and actually have a conversation about it, or were they just? that was all they wanted to do and they'd already formed their opinion they were going to be offensively transphobic to your face yeah basically i was just so like i just said no and just walked off at that point because i just didn't want to deal with it and is 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 that a, a real kind of is that a great exception is that something that's only happened once or twice or is that something that you have to put up with more often uh it it definitely sort of can't similar things like come up it's not like constant like um like generally like i do okay like i'm not like constantly on edge if i'm at a gig or anything but like i am always aware that if there are people i don't know that's always going to be like a possibility like it's kind of like like on your last episode you mentioned like you'd often don't feel comfortable like holding your partner's hand like being trans is kind of like it's often quite somewhat visually obvious so it's almost like you walking up is the equivalent of like walking in holding your partner's hand and not being able to let go in a way and does that has that made you feel that you can't there isn't there is things that you wouldn't want to do that perhaps when you were closeted although that came with things that were worse 
that you would have felt comfortable doing then that you can't you don't feel comfortable doing now uh you're sort of like i'm much less willing to just kind of like just talk to a band afterwards like especially at a local gig unless i've got a fairly decent read on what they're like or like also things just like getting in a mosh pit for example being at the front uh, of a crowd are like much more difficult and does that you know are those things that you would remotely trade for the you know the the general improvement to your life that comes with you know being out and transitioning no no i don't think anyone would probably is there anything that you believe that you know you see differently to your your straight friends within heavy metal that you know your experience has given you a very different perspective on metal is one of those things that is still dominated predominantly by like straight cis white guys yeah very much so so. (laughs) like there's a lot of things that like they just don't have to think about so like i think the one that comes up the most is like there's like kind of edgy jokes and like that sometimes get a little bit more serious and the metal like black metal typically being the worst is a bit more sort of just willing to roll with that kind of stuff like to the point where you can be a out nazi and and be a prominent metal band and that's just kind of fine in the general scene to a certain degree and like that's something i've been very openly resistant against and that kind of goes into like like everything i guess like you become much more aware of where the line is between like sort of heavy metal bravado and stuff being unacceptable sure and anything kind of in a slightly more uh what's the expression that i was using earlier um a slightly more um shallow way in you know it's kind of things that you just look at and you think that's i'm i don't think that's viewed the same i'm viewing that quite the same way that it's being intended and that's because of my uh lgbtq perspective so we use the example um, we use the classic example of we look at man of war and just go really you thought that looked butch because <laughs> to us that just looks you know fabulous darling magnificent <laughs> yeah, boots is... yeah that's definitely <laughs> like it's amazing that uh the Rob Halford look <laughs> as we've sort of become a default among like a lot of the extreme metal things and it's like this is not like the ultra butch mas- masculine thing that you think it is. And what do you think could you know, bands who are who want to be allies, who who you know, support uh LGBTQ rights of all descriptions, what do you think they could do that would make things easier specifically for the trans community because it to me apart from people who have transitioned and been quite open about that and discussed it and and you know tried to break down some of the 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 myths and the lies around that apart from that there hasn't been from what i've seen a huge amount of support put out there in slightly more um concrete terms so we've we've spoken about you know just changing your uh profile picture to a pride flag for pride month is is not really doing very much other in terms of slightly more firm things 
what do you think bands could do to help advance um, both LGBTQ rights and specifically trans rights? The, the main thing is literally just to, to talk about it and not just like immediately after if there's been some kind of public event, like just genuinely it doesn't even have to be part of your songs. Like, like just like how many times do you actually see a band say, we support gay rights, we support trans rights or anything of the sort. Like it's not very common. And like, just like say, I am an ally. Like I support these people. Like that, means so much because it's so rare and there's so much easier to find direct opposition than even the most basic level of support most of the time and just talking about a little bit about your bands specifically what do you find you can express through your bands that really helps you kind of deal with some of the things that you've spoken about so uh, a rise is like a kind of punk grind sludge thing so like well lyrically that's like very direct in like what it's about so i can so that is a like we have a song on um our old split called 41 percent uh which is the attempted suicide rate of trans people and you know that's an alarming number that's extremely high where the general population is like what like one or two percent so it's like that's kind of like um, a way of just really directly confronting it and like just being like you know this is what's happening to me in my community and just like li- quite, quite literally screaming it out there and then, then with um, uh, Karnstein which is a much more sort of gothic black metal-y thing like uh, I, I sort of do a lot of uh, allegory because like, like there's a lot especially in like like a lot of LGBT plus people kind of relate to like vampires or Frankenstein's creature or general like monsters and stuff. Like I think a lot of a lot of us are like really into horror. So there's a lot of good vampires, especially. There's a lot of good sort of analogy you can bring. So I kind of like I've started exploring queer themes through that kind of lens. That was Ria, and thank you very much for putting up with me blathering on. Uh, We will have more In My Kingdom Queer very soon. And from there, we move on to the bit of the pod where Joe and I ramble on about music we're into. Uh, This week, it's more general stuff, what we think is ace right now in it, because I was actually originally from South London. Um, And first up, we we have... uh, um, This is where I have to be very careful not to get myself in trouble. Um, We have Lamp of Murmur with Air of Eclipsical Romanticism. Um, and I've brought this in partially because of what I said last week about Iron Champion, because uh, this is clearly very second wave inspired one man black metal uh, by a musician that goes only by a pseudonym whose identity is actually very mysterious. Uh, Joe, how much of a hypocritical hole am I in here? <laughs> I'd argue it's, it's quite deep, uh, but this is very you, so I could kind of, you know, you could let it slide, I reckon. I put this on and I went, oh yes, this is a Tom Dare record. This is very much a Tom Dare record, because it is very lo-fi. It's very well, raw. I mean, it's, to be fair actually, my, my taste in the lo-fi is actually quite restrictive in that most lo-fi shit that I have is, is from about 1993 or before. 
and that was a you know that's because it's a that was a time and a place and i got into it when i was in a time at a place where i thought that sounded cool now i think it's very passe and i i generally if anyone sounds very lo-fi i start rolling my eyes quite quickly unless the music's very good um just to recap what i said about iron champion iron champion are a very 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 trad metal band who i said sounded like they thought they wanted to, to be like 1982 and to be manila road um <laughs> And if if I thought Lamp of Murmur were basically doing the equivalent thing with Dark Throne or something like that, I would this would go straight in the bin because I have no time for that shit either. And the reason I th- I'm I think this is a different case is that although it is very raw and it's very clearly Norsksvat black metal, uh, it it doesn't to me sound like a shameless rehash because uh, there isn't for me a direct comparison. Like it doesn't really sound like any of those old bands individually sure there's bits that sound like emperor or that first gorgroth record or there's bits that sound like the the less folky bits of the the first uh, first few satiricon records but it doesn't sound like it was recorded at the other end of a cardboard tube using drums made of tupperware um and it doesn't have that kind of mayhem chord change which was very kind of deliberate but not not exactly when it sounds like it should be it's not proggy like emperor it's not cold enough to be immortal it doesn't use repetition like dark throne it's not boring enough to be burzum um so and that's why i think it's different am i does any of that sound like anything other than an excuse i mean honestly i don't know if i've listened to a single one of the records that you referenced um this is very much not my area of expertise uh Second wave black metal is something I honestly kind of avoided, like the plague, for a very long time, just because of all of the controversy and yada it's yada, yada surrounding it. Little bit murdery, little bit uh, controversial, shall we say? And I kind of just, but also just never really my bag. In that, I mean, if I tell you that for years I didn't listen to Metallica, or at least I didn't listen to their first four records because I thought the production was too lo-fi <laughs> it oh wasn't dear. punchy enough yeah don't don't this listen is, to a blaze in the northern sky <laughs> this sort of stuff took me a while to go okay i can listen to things that sound that you know thin i suppose yeah it's maybe the easiest way to put it um i, I actually enjoyed Base, this what's more that? than i thought no I no we don't want that yeah essentially yeah it's just a lot of mid and not much else um, quite a lot of treble actually it's, it's surprising about tre- i mean because because so much of the early black metal was a response to death metal, and that death metal had become quite commercially successful, and yep. had been, you know things like uh, Sepultura appearing on Channel Four had already happened by then, so it was certain it was certain to a certain extent a reaction against death metal. So trying to turn down the bass and turn everything else up was was partly why it sounded so shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I d- yeah, I like this more than I perhaps thought I would. Oh, when I good. first put it on, I, at, I there were certain parts I found myself actually laughing out loud about because I was like, well, that just sounds silly, where it just sounds like little MIDI guitars or whatever. And I think the thing of it being so raw is that when there's things that don't... When there's parts that, you know... This is going to make me sound like someone that's just getting commissioned by Pro Tools. But when there's parts that don't fall exactly in line... And it's all a little bit messy. There were moments of that. I like that. I need to say, I feel like I need to clear that. I like that in a lot of music. But in this, there were certain parts where I found myself going, oh, that sounds a bit, maybe you should have given that another take. But the more I listened to it, the more I got into it. And I kind of found myself going, it's quite nice as a 
almost as background music to almost set a tone as opposed for me personally as opposed to trying to listen to it quite actively listening to it quite passively was quite nice because it just gives this aura of sort of grimness which yeah apparently i like to exist in i mean it, it, i definitely agree it's very atmospheric and if you do just have it on in the background then you will just feel like you're kind of w- walking through a frosty pine forest or something <laughs> uh, the thing though that i i think is has there was an awful lot of hype around this on black metal social media uh, to the extent that you know, it had the level of hype where I started getting a bit suspicious because when that happens to a band who have nothing out, this is their debut and they basically only have a demo before this, often I find out that the froth is all cream and no cake. It's you know, it's all fart, no poo. There's an awful lot of like stuff around it, but there's nothing solid at the end of it. Um, but it's the thing that totally won me round and has kept me listening to it and actually going, oh, no, I, I'm fully on board with this hype. This is Ace. Is that he's taken done black metal and done something with it. In the, it is grim and ferocious and all the atmospheric stuff you spoke about, which I totally agree with. But there's also an enormous amount of goth. Like It's so cradle of filth aware. Yeah. It's it's like, and I'm not just saying because it's, you know, there's a Dead Can Dance cover at the end, which is, you know, ace and weird and i didn't think i would like but very weird i thought that wouldn't work but it, it does but like there's so many danceable goth melodies particularly on the title track which is just like if you change the production on it it could easily be on on you know on a label with someone like perturbator like yeah if you, if, you, oh, if think... you made it if you gave it a really hyper modern like absolute protooled up synthesized uh production you could make this really into a really and... dancey goth record Without yeah, I think trouble. the title almost alludes to it. You know, the air of ecliptical romanticism almost yes. sounds like it could be one of those gothy, synthy records. Yeah, it's which... a band that's read a lot of Mary Shelley. Yeah, it's not. It's maybe not something I massively picked up on, but that might be why I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, because I like a lot of that gothier stuff. Anything that's kind of got an inflection of goth in it, I'm probably going to like. And that might have been what I was latching onto in this without really realizing it. Oh, good. I, well, I have to. Say, I was worried about this because not because you know, I, 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 th- I need your approval. But I, what I didn't want to do was <laughs> give you another Fintroll experience because I thought, knowing what you like, there is a chance. I don't think it will happen, but there is a chance that you are going to hate it really badly. On first listen, I thought I did. If I'm honest, I, and when I when I say on first listen, I mean probably until I got to the end of the first song on my first listen, and I was going, oh, is this going to be a real slog? Am I just going to hate all of this? Is, am I just going to find myself sat here laughing, going, why has he done this? But no, I quite enjoyed it. I think I had to, almost like when you watch a film and you have that suspension of disbelief, where there are things, there are obvious loopholes, but you have to go, all right, I'll look over that to make sure that I yeah. actually enjoy this film. It was almost a similar thing where I had to go, okay, put away those kind of pretenses of oh but i don't like when bands do that thing and kind of just go right just just take it all in and take it in as a whole as opposed to picking apart all the little pieces and going well why has he done that and then i quite enjoyed it and i think i'll go back to it and i'll this this might end up being the gateway for me into more of that stuff which i think is quite exciting if it is i will draw you up a listening list but i'm i am i am very glad i haven't made you suffer um well 
<laughs> Not this week. Uh, well, uh, I mean, <laughs> if, if I'm going to make you suffer, I'd rather do it in an entertaining way. Let's just say that. <laughs> I'd rather there be some, there be an opportunity for you to make jokes at the end of it, rather than you yeah. There's just... not a lot of humor in this. I don't there's think. not a lot. I mean, apart from the inherent funniness of Black going yeah! for about <laughs> half an hour, and the artwork of the uh, through invisible oranges and oh, it's yeah, it, it's so 1992. It. Nocturnal yeah. Culto and Fenrir is f- fucking about in, <laughs> yeah. in the woods just outside. In their garden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm going to move on very, very quickly in a second, but the, the one thing I love about a lot of black metal uh, old school stories now is that if you interview uh, the people who are actually there for the, the big part of the black metal scene, so Fenris, uh any of the guys from Mayhem who aren't you know in prison or really dodgy... <laughs> Uh, or dead, or or dead, um, or um, or uh, who was the other one? There was someone else. Uh, I forget now. But th- if you interview that those type of people, they will point out that they, like those two or three people plus you know the guy who went to prison for a very long time, they were the only genuine adults, and that they were the only people who had jobs. Part of the reason Dark Throne kept themselves out of trouble is that they couldn't get fired. And they, you know, they actually had nine to five jobs, so they were getting home knackered at the end of the day and weren't wanting to go out and set fire to a church. They actually had things to do. Whereas a lot of the people who got themselves in trouble were still at an age where they were living with their parents, and a lot of the people who didn't get themselves into trouble but came but later were still at school. <laughs> Enslaved being the classic example, who were about you know eighteen and fourteen at that point, and so you know a lot of them would were not going into their back garden to do shots like this. They're going into their parents' back garden. <laughs> which which kind of changes some of those old things. It really does. Um, anyway, enough about raw old scrote. Uh, here's something that's <laughs> slightly more modern. Uh, well, very modern, actually. Um, Joe, this is uh, your choice. This is 30 Nights of Violence with uh, You'll See Me Up Here. Um, tell us about this lot. Well, this is a, this is a total 180 on a what we were just talking about, especially yes. in regards to production, because this is yes. crisp. Yes. Uh, there are so the sub first drops. Time, there are sub drops, and I love them. Yeah, uh, really good <laughs> sub drops, um, I heard about this band, uh, I feel quite bad now, I saw someone talk about it on my Twitter timeline, and I can't actually remember who it was now. Um, but I think it was someone, I'm certain it was someone American, I follow a lot of people involved in the American hardcore uh, scene, and the only thing they tweeted about this band that immediately made me go, well, I need to listen to that, is somebody said, oh, yeah, you mean gay misery signals? And I went, oh, that's a bit up my street. Yeah, that sounds uh, like our area of special interest. <laughs> and I put it on, and it's gay misery signals. Uh, it's a lot of that sort of more progressive-sided metallic hardcore, um, more like misery signals. I guess you could say it in the same vein, Seven Angels, Seven Plagues. And from more modern stuff, it's the sort of... If you like bands like See You Space Cowboy, Chamber, Vatican maybe, that sort of new wave of metallic hardcore stuff that's really booming in America at the moment. It's a lot of that. But it has that kind of post-hardcore shimmer as well, which I quite like. There are these moments of... Blissful seems a bit extreme, but quite contemplative guitar melodies in between the absolute chaos that is the the breakdowns and endless just angsty screaming <laughs> but i really really like it it's only an ep um it's only 10 15 minutes long but it 
it does exactly what it needs to do. It kind of gets in and gets out, which I quite like. Yeah, and certainly I, I I really appreciate the fact that it did just get in and get out and it didn't in any way overstay its welcome. And it sounded like they like they had deliberately gone, no, we're not going to play that song because that's not good enough and just stick to what's yeah. good. Um, the thing it, re- it reminded me a bit of was that um, uh, that sort of sort of super group uh, record, I say, making inverted commas. Um, End, was that the name of the band? Oh, yeah. Did an album yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I... I listened to it and thought, well, that's that's quite good, but that's not entirely for me. It's a little bit kind of what's the word? It was a little bit overproduced for my ears. It, okay. it, I, I tend to like something that's got a little bit more of those like things slightly out of out of place. Yeah, yeah like what I was complaining about earlier. Yeah, <laughs> like with stuff like this, I mean, not all things. I have to say, there are plenty of things where I'm quite happy to have everything precisely in place. But stuff like this, I tend to like it. I tend to like to kind of hear the dirt and the fingernails. Yeah. Um, this I have to say was much more my cup of tea because it yeah. is that bit more anger and those sub drops are wicked. It's, yeah, it's so kind, of, it's so overblown and we just we no that hardcore that breakdown's not heavy enough. We need a sub drop. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're just going to bring out the big gun straight away. <laughs> it's that it's that thing of I feel like in in the last few years there have been a lot of bands that have started to embrace how ridiculous metalcore and deathcore used to be. Yeah, in sort of two thousand and seven deathcore when. Every song had seven sub drops, and they like the goal was just to try and get as low and ridiculous and gurgly as possible. And there's a lot of bands that have gone, yeah, it was kind of ridiculous, but also there's a lot of that stuff we really loved. And so, almost similar to, I feel like CU Space Cowboy have done it a little bit, but this band don't have the the sasscore thing that CU Space Cowboy do. Um, but it's very like it's unashamedly ridiculous, and that it will just go. Like Tom just said, yeah, let's chuck a sub drop on it just to make it that little bit heavier or that little bit more intense. Or yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and I f- I feel like it is a an EP as well that now I'm going to be really paying attention to when they release a full length record because I feel like if they explore this sound a bit more, they do a little bit more with it because I think if kind of similar to what you said with this being an ep gets in gets out if this was a bit longer it might get a little bit tiring and a bit okay do something else yeah so if they turn into a half hour grindcore record where you know yeah where you're just going oh you've got to track 170 i'm done yeah Yeah. (laughs) if you're gonna make it this long you need to have some different tricks up your sleeves yeah you need to do the napalm death, death slow stuff thing yeah, they need to find what their something different is, I think. They might already have it, and it's just not on this EP. I think there is one other release, but I'm not listen to that. Um, but yeah, if they can find that something else that gives a bit of respite and then put that into a full length, I think this band could be really one to watch. Yeah, particularly considering how angular those riffs are. I mean, they, they immediately kind yeah. of make you go, oh, and sit up and yeah. pay attention. There's a lot of panic chords and discordant stabs and things like that it's it's very uh jarring on first listen not quite in like a dillinger escape plan way but in enough to make you take notice no it's i mean if it was dillinger if it was that dillinger i probably wouldn't like it very much because dillinger a bit wacky for me but and actually they are a little bit much for me at times as well does, does nothing for me at all um but there was a load of bands that i used to go and see with uh people in like 2010 2011 which was kind of it was it was people really trying to push the envelope, and it sounded more like they were pushing the envelope than writing songs. And that stuff tends to lose me very very fast. This didn't even slightly, uh, I have to say. Um, 
the one criticism I had of this at all was that I thought the vocal, the clean vocals were a tad generic. Yeah, I think that's something you find quite a lot with these bands because they're so used to kind of, they tend to form of, it feels like they tend to form of, you know, it's the kind of typical story of like a group of friends that just go, oh, let's just do a band that sounds a bit like this. And then the first few releases will always kind of be them finding their way a bit. And when they first introduce clean vocals, there's always a bit of, mimicry going on i think where they go well this is how bands normally do it so let's just do this kind of melody chuck it in as this kind of thing but i tend to find a lot of the time give them maybe two more releases and they'll be they'll be a a bit more to it there'll be a bit more substance and reason for those clean vocals i think hopefully i hope so because the the thing that i often have more of a problem with with this kind of record is is the generic uh harsh vocals in that I find that a lot of bands underestimate how difficult it is to do that well and to have personality in it because you the number of things that you can do aren't huge and it's you know it's the thing you get with all extreme vocals of any kind so it's true of death metal black metal grind or anything like that at all if you just have a really generic vocal the number of things that you can do with it aren't aren't significant because you can you can't really go up or down very much because what you're doing with your voice box doesn't allow that. So mostly you're talking about rhythm. There's the odd person who's got a really weird voice who doesn't need to bother. But if you've got a quite, you know, if you so, you know, Travis from um, Cattle Decapitation doesn't have to work that hard in his just his harsh vocals just to sound original because he's got a particularly horrific voice. But <laughs> anything where you're just what you're doing is absolutely normal for the genre. Trying to add personality is really difficult, and this I didn't feel had any problem with that whatsoever. So, and that was, I think, is probably the harder thing done. So, if they can just, you know, find a way to make the singing have a little bit more of them and a little bit less of, you know, it's 2011 and I'm listening to yet another band on Solid State release another, yet another album that sounds like Bad as I Lay Dying. Um, <laughs> and if they can get past, if they can get past that with the clean vocals, then yeah. They they have serious future. Yeah, I think it could be really exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, and from there, we're going to move on to something completely different again. So we did a one eighty <laughs> from that. This is going in a totally <laughs> other direction. Uh, for the record, this is our second go at this because we did try to record this particular album before, um, and the sound cocked up in ways that I cannot explain. So. We couldn't use any of that audio, so that segment just had to be cut entirely. Uh, so we're having another go, because I, I insist that this record is amazing, and I want more people to listen to it, because I haven't <laughs> quite got the attention I think it deserves. Uh, this is a band called Lotus Thief, with their third album, Oresteia, uh, who are from San Francisco, and they sound like it. Uh, and their drummer is uh, uh, the vocalist in Slash Hammer Dulcimer player in Botanist. Hatton Botanist are a, a sort of black metal band who, instead of having guitars, have an instrument called a hammer dulcimer, which basically looks like someone's taking the inside out of a piano and is playing it with hammers. Um, and their, their Botanist new record is wicked as well, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm very hit, hit and miss with Botanist, but I love the new one. Um, Lotus Thief, though, their first album was kind of experimental, almost black metal record. Um, almost none of which has made it to album three, because although this is still dark, it's not it's not grim, and it's it's kind of it's heavy and it's some of it's quite otherworldly. 
and if it's if anything, it sounds like it's falling somewhere between that amazing record Mariner that Cult of Luna and Julie Christmas did together. Uh, somewhere between there and Catatonia's The Great Cold Distance, which we spoke about last week. Um, Joe, uh, when we spoke about this before, you were thinking, I need more time with this. What do you think, having lived with it a little bit more? I I definitely like it more. Um, For the record, when we did this the first time around, I was quite lukewarm on it. I I was kind of going... Yeah, this could be really cool, but I don't know if it quite is yet. Um, I definitely like it more. I think, again, I kind of still need to spend a bit more time with it. Um, I've probably not listened to it quite as much as I should have done. But, um, yeah, it's got a lot of stuff that I like. And I think my main issue when I went into it the first time is I was going into it going, okay, I'm going to listen to a metal album. And although it is, there's a lot of metal in it, it's not really what you would necessarily expect from a metal record. And I think it's that thing of setting your expectations so that you're not disappointed when, you know, there's scream vocals on the first track and then that's it kind of thing. But it reminded me more of, and again, I brought this up last time, there's a record from this year by a band called Molasses. And it reminds me quite a lot of that. And that it's this kind of floaty, quite encapsulating it's more rock to me, and that's a lot because of the vocals. Because the vocals, she's got a, a wonderful voice. It's this really warm, enrapturing, never strained, or she never belts or anything like that. She's got a very powerful voice, but it never sounds like she's really, really going over the top and hamming it up. It's always quite... I don't want to say reserved, because she does really some amazing things with her voice, but reserved in the grand scheme of things, I guess, relatively to a lot of these vocalists that have really incredible voices will often just go, I'm just going to belt for the hell of it because I can. And I don't think she ever really does that, which I quite like. Yeah, that's that's true. And she, but the, the, the thing that I find really striking is that although it's it's really beautiful and it's 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 really atmospheric and it's really rich and it's it's just fucking gorgeous, it's also really powerful in that there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of um, bass to the sound. So it's I don't mean bass as in B-A-S-S, B-A-S-E. There's a lot of uh, rooting to it. So it's it's not sounding kind of quavery or breathy or anything kind of... It's not kind of indie wank shit. It's, she's singing. She's really fucking singing. And she's got a really strong voice. It's just she's choosing to do this with it and has, it has this enormous amounts of emotion carrying through it, much like Jonas that we... Sp- spoke about last week or someone like actually the thing that i always remember when i think about this is that final uh heaven and hell record that ronnie james dio and the rest of the uh that era of black sabbath did together which had uh just some absolutely amazing songs in it but particularly had this incredible but vocal performance by um ronnie where he was doing an awful lot of actually not full pipes stuff where he was kind of much much more more mid power and still sounded absolutely strong as anything and ironically of course he was actually very ill at the time just didn't know it yet uh and it's uh, it's so beautiful and so atmospheric as a result yeah i think that's it it's it's a very rich sound I think I'm trying to find the best word for it. Is it's this really thick, warm, rich sound, textured. Yeah, 
it's very textured, very layered. And I think, despite the fact I said it's not a metal record, the most metal thing about it is the drums. And there's a lot of double kick, and it's quite... I think that's what keeps the sort of momentum going a bit. It never feels, like you say, it never feels like that kind of wishy-washy singer-songwriter indie stuff that can be... Which I like a lot of that stuff, in fairness, but it can sometimes feel a bit flat. Like, it's not really going anywhere. I hate all that stuff. It feels like it has more of a purpose, I think. I hate all that stuff. I viscerally hate all that stuff. And that's <laughs> if that stuff, if one of those adverts with those, that shit on comes on, the TV gets muted. I, it really brings me out in hives. That is my musical enemy. That has no reason to exist. I'm sorry. There's a, there is a line that must be drawn here between people who think that is acceptable and arseholes. I'm joking. I don't actually think you're an arsehole, Joe. What? You I'm probably joking. Should, in fairness, no, I'm. So, uh... I, I'm. I'm <laughs> I just want all those songs to be erased from existence. Eviscerated. I want. Um, I, there's a Red Dwarf episode where there's a uh, this mad droid who's going through history erasing people who weren't worthy, and I want him to start with <laughs> these songs. I don't. I want. I don't want him to raise the people. I just want the songs gone. Um, but enough. En- enough about the Inquisitor. Um, the the thing that really stands out for me is how it's only 38 minutes long so it's not a long album it's it is very clear that they have got their best songs only and recorded them there's still an awful lot of stillness and space and there are moments where they just kind of they pause and it's and then they come back firing and it's really beautiful it's kind of the same thing that we spoke with uh, deluge uh, of how they you know they they stop and then when they come back it's more effective because because of it um and i think as well despite the fact it is quite layered in texture and requires your attention partly that's why it's quite accessible because it does just give you kind of pause to for breath to digest what you've heard and then cracks on uh, and also in the middle there's a song called the furies which is one of the most outstanding songs i've heard all year it's amazing there are these sort of interludes there's a couple of them throughout the record that are just a, a minute half a minute minute and a half whatever they are of pretty much just ambience and it almost makes it feel like the record's coming in movements like there's yes distinct chapters or sections of the record which i quite like actually i i remember when we first did this i kind of said they feel a bit pointless i don't get it but i think on further listens they like you say they give you that time to breathe they give you that time to kind of uh, digest what you've just heard before moving into the next part of the record which is quite cool it's like the orchestra turning the page before the next movement. It is. Yeah. It's. It's. And it just allows everyone to cough and go. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that's probably enough froth from us for now, though. Um, that's. I think I've gone on for long enough about how much I th- think Lotus Thief are absolutely amazing. Uh, we will have more ramblings next time. Uh, we end this week uh, on the campest imaginable. <laughs> camp classic um in the week where the werewolf obsessed band announced a show at the fucking roundhouse in london which is amazing that they're going to play next year uh, we're going to talk about power wolf signature anthem resurrection by erection um let's start off by doing the second check of the week joe have i given you another Fintroll experience by asking you to listen to power wolf i thought it was gonna be i was fucking dreading listening to this and I quite like it. It's really good. <laughs> and I sort of, I feel dirty for saying that I like it, but I do quite enjoy it. It's really silly, 
and really over the top. And he does more Hetfieldisms than I think Hetfield's done in his entire career. Oh, I guarantee he isn't because he doesn't. He didn't listen to metal before he started singing. His background. <laughs> I'm not well, kidding. <laughs> he is a Romanian uh, guy who's in a German band uh, whose background is more musical theatre. Okay. I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, so uh, anything that you, you think is Hetfield is probably Hetfield after vocal coaching. Yes. Well, it's all the it's all the the yes and the you know the little <laughs> all the little sounds at the ends of sentences at the ends of vocal lines where he will just kind of do a little just a punchy little. I don't want to do them, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Hetfield does all the yeah yeah all of that kind of stuff, and there's a lot of that on this song. But I, I, yeah, I quite like it more than I want to. Okay, that's good, because <laughs> I'm now going to draw you up a playlist. So for anybody who hasn't listened to Powerwolf, Powerwolf are very much a singles band. Like, they do have albums which, you know, I, will listen, I have listened to in their entirety and enjoyed many times. However, long term, that fades away. It's not like Sabaton. Sabaton are great. Sabaton are one of those rare cases of band who's got great singles, but if you sit down and listen to an album, a lot of them are great. Everyone's got a duff one here and there, but it, it, you know, seven times out of eight, they've got it right. Fin, uh, Powerwolf have not done that record yet, they, but their singles are amazing. Their greatest hit set list is preposterous. So I'm going to draw you up a, a Powerwolf playlist of all the oh songs which are worth listening to, skipping the filler, um, because there is, it's not always clear where the filler is going to be. Because sometimes okay. it's when the best song comes late in the day. But for anyone who hasn't listened to this song, the title is exactly what you think it is. It is about being awakened from undeath by a hard-on. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have put it any better than that. I mean, I don't need to. I don't really think I. I need to go into too much more detail than that as to why I. I heard this and went, mm, "Gay." Um, yes, but. If 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 you you really do need it spelling out, it's about knobs. Um, yeah, it's not highbrow, but it's very definitely no. high camp, and it is <laughs> it is like German carry on. It is an absolute yeah. feast of innuendos about the old fella that might be claiming to be about getting inside a lady, but it's so Julian Clary, it's immediately setting off all my alarm bells. Yeah, the musical theatre thing that you mentioned before really doesn't help in that regard. And um, I think, despite the song title being what it is, going into this, again, it's been a bit of a theme on this of me going into things with, with pretenses of what I'm about to hear. But Resurrection by Erection gives you a bit of a... It's a bit of a red flag of, okay, cool, this is going to be a lot of innuendo and a lot of it's going to be ridiculous and over the top. And yet still, raise your phallus to the sky and you never die caught me completely off guard. And I had me sort of doing a double take and going, did I actually hear that? Or I had to pull up the lyrics to go, I need to double check that is actually what he said. And yes. it is. And if you read the, the lyrics, <laughs> if you read the lyrics in depth, it gets, it gets a lot less subtle from there. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm the, the, uh, Oh god, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. Um, and the 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 last line of the last verse is the third of days we're climbing the point of no return, and then there's a a big kind of pause as he as he sings return and everything else drops away, and then he goes into the chorus again and sings about you know resurrection by erection. I mean it is 
it is so unsubtle that you could play this to a crowd of people who who don't get innuendos and have very clean brains, and they would be immediately writing to points of view. They, you know, the song would not have finished, and they'd already have have their letters out. Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much. I, well, I was hoping the lyric you were going to read is the. There's a lyric I think at the end of the second verse, which is "So pray to get a hard on before we turn to dust." Yeah, that's also another one. And it's it's almost like it's almost like the reverse of um, when we did "He Is" by Ghost, where it's this <laughs> yes. romantic love song that's steeped in esoteric satanism yes. satanism whereas this is so there's the still a lot of it's so on the nose and there's still a lot of you know it's all very kind of metal and it's you know it's about being brought back from the dead and yada 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 but they are making like there is no illusion that this is not about being woken up from the dead by your erection i yeah. mean the title alone gives it away but they really hammer that home just in case somehow you missed it yeah and the, the the best thing about that line you just mentioned is that it it comes after like the, there's a, a it's part, the second of a two line couplet, um, and just before the, there's a, the rhythm section changes so that it's obvious that this is the point you need to sit up and pay attention if you're not paying attention at the back, mm-hmm. uh, and he says why do you think believer God gave you carnal lust so pray to get a hard on before we turn to dust I mean it's yeah. it's it's so like rammed in your face I have to say though I think that's partially why. Their crowds are mental because some people just go in like the, it's so you are going to learn to like this even if you've never heard it, and we are going to yeah. absolutely shove this in your face and wag- waggle it around. Is that you know it's it people go nuts for them, and that's every time I've seen them, their crowds have been batshit, and that's that was true when they were doing like little venues in the UK, and they started out and they got big in Germany pretty quickly, but getting big in Germany is quite a limited thing. So they have been trying to expand their appeal um but they were doing like really big venues in germany and so had you know good practice of what they were doing and then they would come and play the underworld or you know i saw them five years ago at the islington academy and both of those sets were fucking mad because they came on like the set of the underworld they came on the underworld is tiny and so they can see the whole crowd and like everyone from front to back was just chanting power wolf power wolf for the first three songs without pause and they, the sing, they were just like you could just see the look in the singer's eyes going, "Fucking hell, we thought the Germans were crazy." Like, it was amazing. But if you see him, see him, I saw him at Hellfest, which was you know hilarious because you know all all your cliches about you know the French and Willies just suddenly become even better when you're actually seeing you know, yeah. fifty thousand Frenchmen singing along to Resurrection by Erection. <laughs> um, but see him at Vacan is extraordinary. Which I was lucky enough to do, and good God, like the crowd reaction is unreal. I mean, that's a that's a that's a festival where power but metal bands headline, and for yes. them to have yeah. one of their own that is not just you know the old hands, it's a much newer band that has this enormous shtick that they're going to you know get out and, and show you. Um, <laughs> like they go nuts for it. It's amazing, and I of course was straight in there and enjoying it with them. Yeah, I mean that's that's the scenario, that's the environment I wish I could see this band in. I mean, they're the closest I would get to having a guilty pleasure, I think. Although I don't believe in guilty pleasures. If you have one, you're just a bit of a coward. Um, I want to see them when I've had probably one too many ciders, uh, late afternoon, early evening. Atvakan by... gets you something much nicer than cider. <laughs> well, there you go. Surrounded by absolute diehard fans of this band, and I just want to find myself in the middle of it trying to comprehend everything that's going on. 
Because Round it seems like it would October. be... Okay. <laughs> oh, I've just roped myself into that one, haven't I? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Let's go. Bringing it back, though, to, to, the, to the, the, what we're actually about. Yes. There, there is a slightly serious point, and I'm not going to labour this because I don't want to get too serious for Power Wolf because that ruins it for, for me as well as everyone else. But the Julian Clary thing that I mentioned before, and the reason this sets off so many gay bells, even though they are very clearly talking <laughs> about shagging women, is that when I was growing up, you didn't see a lot of gay men on the telly. And most of the ones you did were either closeted and not really able to express themselves at all, or they were so camp and effeminate they were kind of seen as harmless. Except that had been, you know, that had been true for a long time with the carry-on guys. So you know, Charles Hawtrey, Kenneth Williams, uh, Frankie Howard, people like that. What had changed was that there was a load of I at the time I was, you know, in my formative years to put delicately. There were a bunch of those gay men who were completely inverting the stereotype and being very risque. The most prominent being Julian Clary, who famously at the British Comedy Awards spoke about fisting Norman Lamont, which I've uh, uh, mentioned before. I didn't mention that he followed that line up. While the everyone in the audience was pissing themselves so hard they uh, couldn't hear, he added the afterline, talk about a red box. Um, oh. Yeah, exactly. Oh, um, and also Graham Norton, who... You know, I, I absolutely love because he was saying the things that no one else uh, was saying and that's imprinted in my consciousness in a way that can only happen when you're a child and a lot of that's really terrible and stuff that I've had to unpick but my brain learned that oh that's what a gay man is which of course is bollocks <laughs> because I'm nothing like that like I mean, no. don't get me wrong I like a dirty joke but that's probably more that I you know <laughs> I'm one I'm a man and two i'm over the age of 14 and three i grew up watching a lot of very smarty humor and that's you know that's more to do with my personality than my sexuality but other than that i'm not really like them at all and i went why well, can't be gay then i'm not like that and it took me years to unpick all that shit and while i've got that sorted and i've i've, I've undone most of those lasting stereotypes which you know are bollocks when Power Wolf do this, unfortunately, the association is too strong for me to break. And I immediately just go, gay, you <laughs> must be. I know you say you want to shag women. I know you're all you're apparently confirmed heterosexuals. But this is making me think all of the screaming willies. Yeah, well, it's kind of the, again, it's not something I really want to perpetuate. But it's the kind of the stereotype of the, you know, you'd be at school and there's like the jocks in the rugby team or whatever who think it's really hilarious to slap each other on the arse in the changing rooms and you kind of go maybe there's more to this maybe you don't just think it's funny and it kind of gives that off you know it's the thing of or similarly the kid at school who just has a real fixation with drawing willies on everything and i mean everything and you kind of go there's maybe a reason why you're so uh f fixated on this particular imagery and it's that sort of thing where you, you do go, well, obviously that's not true and that's not the case where it's like there are these telltale signs that if someone is queer, then they're going to be doing these things or, you know, anyone that's... It's that thing of if someone's homophobic, it's because they're closeted and that's ridiculous. Yes. But this is the sort of thing where you go, it's so on the nose, maybe it is actually the case here and it kind of passes all of those 
um, barriers that you put up of going, well, that's not true. That you know, that's that's just a stupid stereotype. That's just a joke that people make, whatever. Whereas this is so full on, and it is so full, I cannot stress how this isn't even a hundred percent. This is several thousand percent, just really in your face, and yeah. you kind of go, okay, maybe on this, maybe on this occasion, you know. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I really don't think they are. But my, my no, neither re- do I. <laughs> my, re- my re- reaction instinctively is, I mean, I shouldn't really need to explain why a song about hard-ons and jizzing makes me think of gays. Yeah. Well, that's I shouldn't the thing, need isn't to it? spell that one out. It's not necessarily that I actually think they are. It's just that gut reaction of going, well, it's the Venn diagram, isn't it? Well, no. It's in me. It's something much more obvious. In that, you know, what wh- when I think of you know hard-ons, what's my first reaction well, going yeah. to be? <laughs> it's not going to be women because I'm. That's not who I am. I don't. You know, if someone starts talking about getting an erection, I don't think of of heterosexuality because that's not the way I'm wired. Yeah, it's it's something really enough, quite. It's it's something totally very primal. It's very lowbrow and it's very basic. Yeah. you know, it's it's. If you t- start talking to a gay man about an erection, he's not going to, you know, imagine boobs involved in this equation. No, yeah. Um, and obviously, your perspective is very different to mine. Yes, which is perhaps why your reaction was not so similar. <laughs> but in the case of me, you know, it's 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 the thing that I think a lot of straight people don't realise is that if they start talking about sex, people who are in the same way that when they start talking about sex, they assume all the things that are about to say are about heterosexual couples. Mm-hmm. If you say the same to a gay man, he's going to automatically assume it's, you know, bef- until he thinks about it consciously, his instinctive reaction is going to be, yeah, that's two men. Because yeah, that's what sex it, is to you. Yeah, exactly. It's the natural association for that person. And if you start singing about, you know, erections in your songs, <laughs> your gay audience is going to start thinking, mm, hello. Yes, you know, exactly. obviously they will work out quite quickly that they've made a mistake. Well, I hope so. Otherwise, they, you know, they're going to get quite unfortunate reactions. But, um... <laughs> yeah. but I think that's probably enough about Germans raising their phalluses to the sky for one week. Yeah. Uh, we will be back next week when we'll be discussing someone with an even more puerile sense of humour than Powerwolf, allegedly. Um, they she really <laughs> does. Though. Like we've we've seen his shows, he's he's got a more pure sense of humour. Absolutely, uh, I don't I will, think there's any debate yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, there's there's yeah. I mean, for, for God's sake, even you know, put those jokes on one of his albums. Well, more than one of his albums, but one in particular. Exactly. Famously. Um, but enough about that. Um, we will leave you <laughs> guessing as to who that is, um, and uh, see you next week. Uh, marvelous to talk to you again, Joe. And you. That was good fun. Uh, a bit racier than expected, but really, <laughs> that was exactly maybe as not racy than expected. As I expected. Yeah, I probably should have seen that coming. Really, shouldn't I? Sorry, I'm just going to throw Brooklyn Nine Nine references every now and again. Um, and on that bombshell, uh, we will see you next week. Ta-ra. Bye.